It's 3 o'clock on a Thursday, and you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah, baby. This week, starring special, wonderful guest star, Miss Robin Frederick. Yeah! fake band thank you really fake audience and welcome to the show you guys and you know i'm gonna forget so i'm gonna say it now don't forget oh, there we go subscribe to our channel and don't forget to like us oh. <laughs> i'm that insecure i live in los angeles i need to be liked i do and, yeah. and and you know foam core is really expensive so these were quite you know like the investment um <laughs> Robin was here today, or is here today, working with one of our screeners, um, and, and so I figured as long as she was going to be in the building and oh, I didn't do a show on Monday. It? I thought you wanted me here. <laughs> well, I did want you here, but, you know, you were already going to be here. So oh, yeah. uh, we've got an hour um, to do something in between Robin doing the front half of a screener training and the back half of the screener training. So let me open up the chat room and... Uh, there you guys are. Goodness. Uh, Hi, folks. Oh, there's Robbie. There's, yep. Okay. Yep. There's everybody. Absolutely. So nice to see you all, your names. Uh, Toon Smith, Peter, Dean Turner, Amanda, Robbie Hancock, Sherry, um, M. Haller. Don't know that. Mary part. Haller. Oh, Mary? I think it's Mary. Right. Oh, okay. Mary, give us a give us a wave your arm. Wave Anyway, thank you guys for Great showing evening. up at this weird time and this weird day. But you know what the heck? Robin's here. So we decided to do a one hour show and Robin is gonna do the four big songwriter mistakes and how to avoid them. So I, I said to her 10 minutes ago, you know, do I need to know anything? <laughs> and I said, no, be surprised. <laughs> and I will I want be. it to be genuine when I do this, that he's never heard of these things before, and he'll be genuinely surprised. All right, no. well, I, hit me, well, I don't know, you know. I mean, I've seen a lot of mistakes in my day. So you're gonna... Right, I don't think you'll be surprised by any of these. <laughs> well, I'm curious to hear what number one is. So while you lead off with number one, I'm going to go make it a little cooler in here because these studio lights are making me Oh, shits. okay. <laughs> I'll be back okay, in 10 seconds. He gets seconds. to check out and leave me here with you guys. Hi. <laughs> he doesn't know what we're going to do. Okay, let's talk behind his back, okay? Yeah, Let me go. see some chat here. All right. Yes, thank you. It's really lovely to be here, and he's on his way back. So, shh. <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, so I, you know, when I'm doing things, when you asked me to do this, to come up with four, four big mistakes that songwriters make, I'm always, I'm always finding new stuff that I, you know, that I identify and go, look at that, wow, I never thought of that. So here's some things I really have never thought of. Um, That's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, these are not in the books, these are, because maybe in some form they are, but not this way. Uh, the number one, and this is the one that I keep noticing. Thank Exhibit you. A. Thank you. This is the one I keep noticing lately, and, and that's over-explaining. Over-explaining, and the other flip side of that, which is under-explaining. Okay, so this is a lyric issue, obviously. Yeah. And then we'll do a melody issue, and then we'll take a look at a couple of overall issues. Um, over-explaining is when uh, a songwriter is talking about something that's happened to them, yeah, in their life, mm -hmm. and they tell you every detail of the thing that happened to them. And this happens to me all the time. So the other day I was looking at a song, and, and I want to just let you know what the song told me. This, the, the lyric was a personal experience, and it was, I met you, and we fell in love, and we moved in together, and it was great for a while, but you turned out to be cold and mean, and not the person I thought you were, so I moved out. But now you want me back, but I'm not going to come back, because now I don't trust you. 
I'm guessing that song was not a hit song. This was one from somebody who's learned. <laughs> this was not a hit song. Okay. Yeah. And the reason, and that's there's a reason for that. Here's the thing about this. This is a common. I mean, unfortunately, this is a common experience. But this is the kind of experience that we do write about because it's very emotional. And we have a lot to say about it. Um, we want to talk about it. We want to share that experience and give the insight into what happened to us and express those emotions. And so I've seen more than one song that had basically had this this arc in it. And here's the problem with it. I finally realized is that this is actually about seven songs. Right. <laughs> and and because and I'm not laughing at you. No, I'm uh, laughing with you. <laughs> believe me. Uh, I've written this before. So the problem is that when you put this much information in, you can't go anywhere below the surface on any one of these incidents. Because there's not enough time. There isn't. Yeah. So I was working with um, the song All of Me by John Legend the other day. I was doing something with it. And I was noticing that there are only nine lyric lines before he gets to the first chorus. And when you get to the chorus, the chorus is the emotional heart of your song. That's the, you know, and the section is going to be repeated. So it's got to be the, the section that sums up what overall what you want to say. And so you've got to get your listener to that point before you get to your first chorus. Right. And then you can add more in the next verse and the bridge, but that's all you've got. And this is nine lines to get to the first chorus. Then after the chorus, um, he's got another double verse, which is six lines, but the pre-chorus repeats and the chorus repeats. That's the, it. The That's double verse got. is six lines and six more lines? Or no, is it no, three it's and three, three. three and three. Okay. Yeah. So it's a total of six lines before so, you get to the repeat of the pre-chorus. How many? Repeat. I'm going to go warm it up because now it's too cold. The, my air conditioner thermostat doesn't work that well. I need a nest is what I need. But, um, okay, so having only nine lines before the, the chorus, how many topics... Can you? Or? You can only do one. Okay. That's the question. Thank you for asking that. That's the answer. The answer is you can only do one incident per song. Okay. And not only that, I think you can really only do one moment per song. What's the difference between an incident and a moment? Well, well an incident has has if you drill down, it's like looking through a microscope and then you look through an electron microscope and then you look to as you drill down, you find that a single incident actually has a lot of parts to it. So what I'd like to suggest to avoid this problem is that you look for the peak moment. And each one of these things, I met you and we fell in love. We moved in together um, uh, and it was great for a while. That's two. But you turned out to be cold and mean. That's three. Uh, and not the person I thought you were. Excuse me. That's three. You were, um, so I moved out. That's four. But you want me, uh, then you want me back. That's five. And it's each one of these is an incident and each one of them has a peak moment and the peak moment is the moment at which either the singer either comes to a realization comes to a decision or takes action those three things constitute a peak moment there's probably some more things that make up a peak moment those are the ones i can think of the moment at which say those again one more yeah, time please the moment at which the singer comes to a realization comes to a decision or undertakes an action. Okay. Okay, so they can sometimes all coexist in the same peak moment. Sometimes that's the, 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 the singer is doing all three of those things. So let's say you have, um, I met you and we fell in love. It's the moment at which the singer says, oh, I'm in love with this person. I mean, isn't there, that's, there's a realization there. Mm -hmm. If there isn't, if there isn't, if it was a gradual thing over time, I think, 
you still have those each incremental moment at which you fall more in love. Now, you can write a song that says, I loved you uh, when I, f I fell in love when we first met. And then, uh, you know, five years later, I'm even more in love with you. And then we had our children, raised our children, I'm even more in love with you. This is, country will do that sometimes. Country songs will do it. There's a wonderful song right, called... Right, a, a timeline. Yeah, the timeline song. And there's a wonderful song called Real Love that was a hit for Phil Vassar a few years ago. And that's one of them. Or um, You're Gonna Miss This is another one that goes through a life. But you don't see them much in in pop or rock or any other genre and you don't see them much in country anymore either yeah Even country, country is, has, you know the standard that we've held to for so long with country is story visual details all that yeah, stuff the, yeah. the granularity is, is still there with the traditional guys um, mm -hmm. but, but so much of the the hip-hop you know and the bro country that's out there now it's like hey hey you know i mean the yeah. lyrics have gone to hell well, you, you know, and then there's the kind of the Lady Antebellum, uh, you know, and um, uh, they're doing straight pop, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's it's country pop. And those songs are absolutely the same kinds of lyrics you see in a pop song, which is, this is this emotional moment, and I'm now going to take you to into that emotional moment with me. And that's kind of what singer, that's what listeners look for. In a song, they want to. They want that experience, that emotional experience. They want to share it. They want to be a fly on the wall. They want to be part of an intimate experience of mm -hmm. watching and listening to something that's going on that they, that they probably shouldn't be listening to. You know, there's so, a kind of nosy aspect to this. How do you know when you've got too many of those moments in your thing? How, or how do you choose the best one? If you're uh, well, I think this is seven songs. Right. Yeah. So, so how do you I know don't. I, there's which no one best is, one. is your? There's no best one. You don't think one of those is like a better bet than the other no, ones? No, I think you should write seven songs. So okay. I mean, I've literally sat down with somebody's song and I've picked apart a song that had five th different songs in it, and said, okay, here's song number one. You can stick with this melody if you want to and make this the song. But these other four songs are songs you should write. You know, there's there's never any reason not to write the other songs. It's obviously something you want to write. But the difference is, with this song where there's so much happening, so many situations and so much change that's going on into different emotions, you can't get below the surface. And if you don't go below the surface, then listeners aren't interested. Right. They're not there for the storytelling. They'll go to a movie, they'll go to a TV series. They're not there for the storytelling. They're there for the emotional ride. And the insight into what the singer is feeling and going through, and maybe they're identifying with the singer, or maybe they're just enjoying the the kind of voyeurism that comes with mm. listening to John Mayer sing "Slow Dancing in a Burning Room." You know, even if you don't know who he's singing it about, it's such a moment, and and it's so there's something about the emotional intensity of it and the vulnerability of it that we just can't turn away from it. That song is a great example of a song that drills down deep into a peak moment. What was the other thing you mentioned? Moments and something. Situations we were talking about? Uh, I, as I got up to tweak the air conditioning, you said there's moments and there's... And situations, I, and you yeah. said, what's the difference? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said a moment is within a situation. So let's say the situation uh, is I'm moving out. Well, what's the peak moment at which you decided you had to move out? What was the tiny little thing or the big thing? When you tried to strangle me, tie me up and throw that me one, in the yes. freezer in the that basement. Big one. That was yes. the decider right there. Yeah. Or I saw that smile on your face, but it wasn't in your eyes. You know, that one. That like yours has a happier ending. <laughs> no, it makes your blood run cold. Um, yeah, well, there's that. Um, so in other words, at what moment did this happen? 
And when you start looking at that moment, then you start asking the question, what made me feel that way? How did that feel to me? How would I describe that feeling? So there's almost like a, an inverse tree that helps yes. you drill down yes. to get... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. In other words, so if you're telling a story, you're moving this way through time, uh, wide. There, this, 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 you're going through time. And in each moment in time that you stop, you're not being able to say very much about it, except mm -hmm. this happened. But if you go to a single moment, that moment at which something happened, you go down, drill down into that moment, and you say, this is what it felt like. It could be something as simple as a child going off to school mm -hmm. and waving goodbye. That moment at which it, the singer, you know, let's say the mom, says, my life just changed. And that's a song because a lot of, because a lot of listeners have been there. And, and not thought about it. It went by them too fast. They didn't stop to think about it. So when you write a song that says, you know, all in that moment, I felt loss, you know, I felt grieving, I felt excited for my child, I felt the future. You know, you feel all that stuff. So you should make moment. this list of stuff, but then not let it run away and turn back into that, which is like, Right. Because Stream of consciousness and everything's got to be in there so they know what I felt. <laughs> right. You want to focus on a, on a single set of emotions. Usually it's just one. But describing an emotion can take an entire song. And that's what John Legend does in All of Me. He describes a relationship. And basically he's saying, what would I be without your smart mouth? Pulling me in and kicking me out. I'm so dizzy, don't know what hit me. That's three lines, mm -hmm. and yet you get so much information about this relationship and how he feels about it and who she is, you know. And then he goes on in the next three lines to say, um, "What would I do? Uh, your beautiful mind, something about your beautiful mind." I don't have the lyric with me. Um, uh, I get lost in your beautiful mind. Oh, here, wait, I do have it. What's going on in that beautiful mind? I'm on your magical mystery ride, and I'm so dizzy, don't know what hit me, but I'll be all right. That's the, those are six lines that take you inside that relationship, those two people, how they relate to each other. And then the pre-chorus just builds a little bit. He says, my head's underwater, but I'm breathing fine. You're crazy, and I'm out of my mind. And suddenly you see that they're a pair. They're, they're perfect together. They're evenly matched. You're crazy, and I'm out of my mind. Then when he goes to the chorus, and he says, because all of me loves all of you, it's believable. It's mm -hmm. authentic because we know what's behind it and we can identify with it and relate to it, it's maybe. got the backstory, yeah. Yeah, because we have that. But all it is, he's not telling us, I met you, you know, at the dance at so-and-so celebrity party and I just picked you out of the room and, and wanted to meet you and, you know, and off you go into these surface things. He doesn't care. We don't care how they met. We care about how they feel. I, I want to mention something that people comment on YouTube videos and, and I will see inevitably when this makes its way to YouTube three weeks from now I'm gonna get a ping somebody's gonna comment and come up with an example of a song that did the opposite of what you're talking about today just know that when we have these discussions it's stuff that Robin has unearthed that it may not be true for a hundred percent of all songs but the better ones, this is the kind of craft that goes into making them. You can always find an exception. You can find there's a hit song out right now that, by some rock band that's got a lot of na, 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 you know, like yeah. no lyric, yeah. it's vocalizations. And it's a hit. 
So this applies That's to... That's different. The, and, I, and I wanted to mention that because people do say that to me too. Well, how come there, you know, yeah. you don't have to write anything when you write dance club. I'm just going to do a dance club song because all I can say is you're sexy baby, you're sexy baby. <laughs> but there's a reason for that. And the reason is because the dance club song has a different use. It belongs in the dance club and not on radio. And it's strictly for making people feel sexy out on the dance floor because that's what people go to the club for. And you better be a damn good beat maker if you're going that route. That's because it. That it's all about production. Yeah. So the weight, whether it's lyrics, it's melody, it's chords, it's groove, as the weight shifts, so does the emphasis on those things. So right now, chords has a low chord. The chord progression has a low emphasis in a lot of songs. It's just repeating. It's become part of the rhythm track almost. And instead, lyrics get raised up in pop rock, particularly when you're listening to, say, Katy Perry, lyrics are really featured. And the singer is really featured. Um, but if you're going to get into something, uh, uh, you know, when you get into EDM, it's going to, uh, away from radio, it pulls the emphasis off the lyrics and more onto the use, which is dance. Uh, the use is dance. I think a, making people feel a good. lot of our taxi members who are 40 and older, are very discouraged by this trend in the music industry because they've grown up learning craft and reading books like yours about craft and studying craft and all of a sudden there's this whole other side of the music industry and it's a side you hear on radio a lot mm -hmm. um, but they're not adept at making beats and doing that kind of music and so they're discouraged but you know what they're John Legend and other people like him prove that there's always room for a beautifully crafted oh, yeah. song with some, and you can't write a song that good without mastering the craft. Right. You just can't yeah. do it. And that's just piano vocal with a little bit yeah. of stuff in like the background. A, like that's a it. little string part. That's about yeah. it. I mean, and, it's really and Adele cool. has done the same thing with uh, somebody like you, mm -hmm. someone like you. And um, but you know, when I look at a song, speaking of this, the other the other reason that people get away with sloppy lyrics sometimes is because they have a huge fan base. And we don't get to do that. We don't have that uh, advantage. We have to beat what those artists and those bands can write with their own producer. So we, I wish we did have that luxury. It would be you know, much easier on us, but we don't. We have to come in stronger than what they can write on their own. And um, we're at, so we're at a disadvantage in that way. And that's how you get invited to the party. That's right. That's right. So I was looking at another song because I know that people say this, um, you know, well, most songs on the radio aren't, the lyrics aren't very good. But if you look at a song like uh, Closer by the Chainsmokers, that's a really good lyric. It's a really good lyric. Did I bring, I don't think I brought it. Um, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, and it's just, uh, hey, I was doing just fine before I met you. I drank too much, but that's an issue, but I'm okay. So right away, you get the singer's personality and the singer's issue, and how does he present that? But you don't get, oh yeah, I met you last Monday. You know, and you don't mm -hmm. get too much detail about the situation. You're right in the middle of these two people talking. Then he says, um, I know it breaks your heart. You moved to the city in a broke down car. Four years, no calls. Now you're looking pretty in a hotel bar. You get her life in four lines. Mm -hmm. You know, she came to the city, couldn't make it as an actress. And, and, and it does have visual detail. It's just yeah. not all that minutiae that you don't need to tell the story. Right, right. He goes right for the peak, right for the most important bits, and he gives you the important bits. So here you are in a hotel bar. So baby, pull me closer in the backseat of your Rover that I know you can't afford. <laughs> you know, it's just wonderful. So I, I don't think we should be discouraged at all. Um, you know, those of us who have been working hard at our craft all these years and writing songs, when I look at this and I look at uh, 21 Pilots, who I like a lot, I and of course, Adele, aren't they great? Yeah, yeah. Heathens, it's just a great song. 
and um, Adele and uh, Katy Perry and I mean you just you, you go down the line and there are a lot of hits that are consistently the kinds of songs that you want to write and of course if you're in country there's a lot of great songwriting in country and uh, and rock too so um, I think that it's a question of deciding what you want to go for uh, what are you aiming at and then of course there's film and television and you do have to Film and television is where you really want to hit that peak moment and stay focused on it because that's the kind of song that a, a scene is going to use. They're going to tell the rest of the story that leads up to it and the, and the story that happens after it. But where your song comes up at the end of that scene, that's that peak moment that you want to hit. You know, we just had uh, a music supervisor who's run, I don't know, a dozen listings or more with us in the past over past three or four years just said, you know, I'm not working on a particular project I need anything for right now, but I would like to get reacquainted with Taxi's members. So go ahead and put out some listings and put together a sampler and send it to me. And we really had to put our thinking caps on because what we did in this, you guys should know how to do this. I know Robin knows how to do this, which is go online, go down the rabbit hole and do the research. And this woman does primarily indie films, respectable ones that are like one to five million dollar budget indie films. Um, some of them have, uh, several of them have been uh, like South by Southwest uh, award winners, what have you. But there's almost a theme in the work that the, either the people are attracted to her as music supervisor or somehow she ends up on things that are, are usually about millennials, 20 somethings. And it could be a horror flick or it could be a relationship thing. It could be a coming of age film. And you have to sit there and think, okay, what are the situations that they're going to be in? So that dictates the kind of songs. We're not just going to play songs for her and say, check these taxi members out or check out their songs. We're going to put stuff on the plate in front of her where she's going to go, ooh, actually, that would be really good for a party scene, or that would be really good as background source in a car, or that would be good in a montage because somebody is trying to figure it all out. So you have to go into the same process for film and TV, uh, maybe not in the lyric construction, but in the what the song is about. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're very masterful at the road rally pointing that out that really it comes down. You've done this on stage several times where you say, look, it, when it all boils down to it, it's about one emotion. Yeah, it's about a single emotion. Yeah. Yeah, you can't change emotions because the scene won't change. Right. The, the scene is about what it's about. And, and you know, your song is going to use at a particular moment if the song changes feel or song changes emotion right it then it work. becomes a, a linear story like yeah. this gentleman or yeah. lady started out with way too much so it's a good idea you know to pick a tv show or a film that you like and find a scene in it a dramatic emotional scene um and write a song that would work for that it's it's a great way to write songs for film and tv because the song you write is bound to turn out to be something that would work for film and tv yeah because you wrote it uh, to fit the kinds of scenes um, that are common, yeah, you know, that are uh, universal, uh, common, that are common to, to TV series and 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 film. Um, you know, sometimes you can watch daytime dramas. You know, and you find those kinds of scenes, and the dialogue is real slow in those shows. So you could write, you could turn the sound off and write a song and have a plenty long scene <laughs> to write your song to. Um, or watch the kinds of songs that are used in those scenes. So, so yeah. Uh, so recap that yeah. one. Let's move on to number two because we've got a relatively right. short show today. I just today. realized that, yeah. So, that, so that's the first one, which is over-explaining and then under-explaining, which is not telling us enough about how the singer is feeling. Um, uh, when people get to the second verse and they haven't got anything to say, I always worry about whether or not they knew what they were wanting to say when they started. 
So when you get to the situation where you're at the second verse and you don't, you know, know what you're talking about, it's a real good time to sit down and interview yourself. That's a technique that works pretty well for me. You sit down and you say, why am I saying this? You know, what am I saying? What am I talking about? What am I saying? Why am I saying it? Why is it important to me? Answer that question. Why am I writing this song? Why is it important to me? How do I feel about it? Which is the big question that you're going to answer in your chorus. Yeah. And what do you hope or fear will happen next? That one gets in there in the bridge usually. Um, uh, and if you want to, you can do just a little bit of background, which is what caused this to happen. And you'll see that in closer, those kinds of songs, just a little, just enough so that we know uh, what caused this to happen and, and we're satisfied. When you've answered those questions, you shouldn't have any problem writing the lyrics for your second verse and your bridge. If you don't answer those questions, then the listener is left hanging. The listener ha is, is asking those questions without really realizing it. And if you don't answer those questions, the listener is left hanging. And that's under explaining. So be sure that you answer the questions. Why are you saying this? Why is it important to you? How do you feel about it? And then the, the other ones, the kind of you know, extra ones are, how, what do you hope or fear will happen next? That's an interesting what, one. What, um, we, you often hear it in the bridge. Yeah. I'm afraid I'll lose you. You know? uh, are bridges going away no. again? They they come and go from time to time, mm -hmm. and I've noticed a lot of stuff that's making it to radio right now seems to have like an EDM song construction, where um, I'll be in the car and realize, oh my God, that song just ended and it didn't have a bridge. It maybe had like a middle eight or some sort of breakdown. You'll have something thing. at that point. Yeah, yeah. but the, the bridge as we one. know it that, that does that job, uh, I, I can't say they're all going away, but like twenty percent less of them. It could be, yeah. I, you know, it could be. The thing is, it's a shame to let the bridge go because that's a that's a moment in the song when the singer really gets to sort of think about it in a different way. The singer gets to step out and go, well, I guess this is true. I guess this is the way it is. Um, gee, if I do this, what I'm singing about, what's going to happen? Um, the, the bridge itself gives you a chance to put more information in. And remember, you don't have very many lines. Yeah. So you don't have to do the kind of standard old-fashioned bridge. Sometimes we'll have a bridge that's just a couple lines long. And, but it's an important way. You do have to give the listener a break from verse, chorus, verse, chorus, some kind of break, and then into your final chorus. And, and you can, it can be part instrumental, and it could be part a couple of lines um, uh, of, of melody and lyric that just gives the listener a moment to think about things before you plunge into that last chorus. Do you remember we did a show probably two and a half years ago or more about uh, what does the fox say? Oh, yeah. And even that song yes. had a structure. Mm -hmm. it, it was so incredibly goofy, yet... Oh, it had a very clear verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Yeah, yeah destined absolutely. to be a hit. It, it was yeah. addictive. Yeah. I don't think they ever had another hit. But. No, but yeah. <laughs> um, so the next, so the second one yes, number is two. Uh, Wandering Melodies. Ah. Yeah. So one thing that you see in a lot of taxi listings and of course the whole industry looks for is catchy melodies. And the question is, what is a catchy melody? How do you write one? What does that mean? You know, one of the things I've been identifying lately as part of a catchy melody, a big part of catchy melodies is patterns. Catchy melodies have patterns and patterns make them memorable, which is what catchy is. It's just memorable. Mm, and like so it. if it's easy to remember, then listeners will remember it. And we're pattern-based critters. Humans recognize patterns. That's how we recognize things. If we're really pattern-oriented. We don't think about it much because it's so embedded so deeply. But what I mean by a pattern, a melody with a pattern is, as opposed to, say, a wandering melody. So I've been looking at melodies and hit songs lately, and what I see a lot in the chorus, for example, is 
sing one melody line with a lyric. That's the first melody line of your chorus. The second melody line of the chorus is often the same melody line repeated, but with a new lyric. Mm -hmm. The third line is go away, sing a different melody. Many times it's two short phrases. Um, do something different in the third line. And then come back on the fourth line and sing something similar to your first two lines, but with some variation. It could be longer, it could have different note pitches, but the same note rhythms. But it echoes those first two lines. Now, within that basic pattern, you can extend that, you can make it shorter, you can change it around. But I do see that in quite a few hit songs these days. So, for example, I was looking at uh, Highway Don't Care, that country song, huge hit. And it's an easy one to see this on. Um, the the chorus melody is ba 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 da da da, and then again da 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 da. Then he does it a third time, da 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 da. He just varies the end of it. Mm -hmm. Then he does this little rhythmic thing on the end, but I do, I do, and then mm -hmm. he does the whole thing all over again. That's pattern, and that's a pattern that you can use. Steal like a songwriter. I call it. <laughs> um, you just totally change the melody pitches and the note rhythms, but use the pattern of do it three times, but change the third time, alter the third line, and then do something rhythmical after that to wrap it up, and then do that again. See what happens. You can listen to any hit song and notice what the pattern is on the chorus melody and, and the verse melody, and they will be different because they have to be different to create contrast. That's another way we create contrast that I really haven't written about too much. I have written about note rhythms and I have written about patterns. But um, the idea that you can take a pattern and change and repeat the melody line, but change the lyric is one of the great tricks of writing catchy melodies because as you change the lyric, you get to repeat that melody, which means that people will remember it. Then you go away from it and come back. Do it, do it again, go away, come back. I write about that a lot in hit songwriting book. That's a basic human pattern. We like it a lot. Do it, do it again, go away, come back. I think a lot of people are deathly afraid of um, inadvertently ripping off a sequence sure. of notes. And, and it's yeah. hard not to because it's been ingrained, you know, like my Sharona. Even though somebody in another country, you could probably take somebody from Central Africa and say, do you know the song My Sharona? And they'd be clueless. They but but if you went boom, boom, doo, doo, <laughs> yeah. boom, boom, they, you wouldn't even have to get that far and they would know if the song. If you played Prescott's bass line, right. yes. <laughs> Prescott, who's here almost every day of the week. Yeah, he's a screener. Um, Prescott Niles, bass player on My Sharona. Um, so I hear this from people. It's like when they write something that they think sounds catchy enough to be a hit melody, the, the next thought they have is, did I come up with that all by my lonesome or am I stealing that inadvertently? Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you know, because is there any way to check and see if you've come too close to... Well, the famous the famous story is, is Paul McCartney walking around singing ham and eggs. Have you heard this melody before? He, he asked all everybody he knew, have you heard this melody before? Because he, he because yesterday, the melody of yesterday just came to him and he was worried and when melodies just come to you, you do yeah, kind of too have to, easy. Well, it's too easy. Watch out. And he just came to him and he so he checked everywhere and nobody recognized it. 
On the other hand, when George Harrison wrote My Sweet Lord, he totally lifted another melody and didn't check and didn't realize he'd done it. And nobody along the way noticed it either yeah. in the studio, in the, you know, salespeople. Nobody rec mentioned that My Sweet Lord was a complete lift from uh, he's, uh, he's So Fine, right? Is it He's So yeah. Fine? Yeah. Um, it happens. And unless your song is a hit, it's probably not going to be a problem. If it is, you end up splitting the royalties with somebody else. Occasionally, you can end up having to pay some damages, yes. But my, rec my recommendation would be, and I used to write three to four songs a week for the Disney Channel. And the first thing I did when I walked into the studio and had the guys run down the song was, have you heard this melody before? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the guys would go, yeah, that kind of sounds like vaguely familiar. I mean, even if they couldn't remember the song that was like it, I would just take it and change some notes around. Yeah. It's that simple. If you're worried about it and it keeps bothering you, go in and change some note pitches and note rhythms because you can do both of those things separately and rhythm is as important as, as important note rhythm is as important as note pitches and you can change both those things and a, a good strong melody will be stable through all of that it will remain strong you can it will hang on to that if your melody is weak to begin with it's very likely to fall apart when you start fiddling with it in that way but if it's a strong melody to start with and it has good repetition and and it's Remember that I, uh, what I said to you earlier was about lines themselves being repeated and then changing. Mm -hmm. But within a line, you can have patterns of note, short and, and long notes. Um, da, 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 da. You've been saying this since the day I first met yeah. you, uh, probably your entire career. You know, people tend to be a little too on, on the, the beat. And right. that's a kiss of death. And just by simply changing up the phrasing, which eventually morphed yeah. into um, starting phrases on ands, which became a modern thing, which isn't so modern anymore. But right. you know, yeah. seven but or eight years ago, yeah. that was like, it's still really a cool, it's a really cool technique. Just take your entire melody and shift it to the and yeah. after the beat, after the downbeat, and see if that, that'll totally change your melody. And, and you're never going to have to have a problem and worry about it. So all kinds of things you can play with within that melody to make yourself more comfortable with it because you sh you're right, that is a real uh, concern for all of us who write a lot of songs and or a few songs. So when I listen to, uh, let's say for example, Every Breath You Take, you know, that's another song that Sting, you know, the story that he got up in the middle of the night and wrote that in 30 minutes is, is true. Um, but as we say, it's, you know, six years of touring five albums in 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> but also it's the kind of thing that sounds like a melody that just came to you. It's the most generic kind of melody. He must have been worried that he had heard this before because then he explodes into this big bridge. Oh, can't you see you belong to me? My poor heartaches. And it's the bridges that make that song work mm -hmm. because it has a generic little verse that, by the way, is do it, do it again, go away and come back. And, um, it's, and it's too generic. And, but it's the kind of thing that you wake up in the middle of the night singing. But it's also the kind of thing that you either need to rewrite or add to or, you know, it, the lyric's going to have to carry all the weight, which in that song it really does. Um, there's a lot of things you can do if you're concerned. And yes, if a melody just comes to you, you should be concerned about it. Um, go in and start doing some serious 
interesting melody rewriting. We know how to rewrite lyrics usually, but we don't think about rewriting melody. And too many people, I think, accept the first melody that comes to them. It's hard to shake it loose. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So what, yeah, so what you do is you make some changes, even if it means making those changes with, by, with a conscious effort. Mm -hmm. You take and change a couple notes, change a couple rhythms, shift the whole thing into an and, do a couple things to it, record it, and walk away. Then come back a couple hours later when you've forgotten what you did and listen to it and see if you, as a listener with fresh ears, say, oh, I like that. And run it by somebody, even somebody who's not in the music business, but I'll write marketing pieces for taxi or articles and run them by Robin. Mm -hmm. um, she's the best set of eyes I can get on anything. And I may not go word for word on the changes she suggests, but the idea for the change is frequently what I will latch on to because she's seeing it with fresh eyes. So do the same thing for Melody. Yeah, absolutely. You know, ask, this is the one time you should actually ask a family member, does this sound familiar? <laughs> oh yeah, ask everybody because everybody listens to music and so they may in fact be able to recognize something that sounds uh, like it's from another song. Um, once somebody once somebody says, yeah, that sounds like another song, that's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> and figuring Too out. bad there's Just not a website, it. you know, like a Shazam. Well, well you know, maybe. Is. Uh, it, it, I think there is. Yeah, uh, isn't it? A, you guys will know what it is. Come a, on, put it up. A place there. where you can go play a, one, a simple there? melody, you know, just off your keyboard, and it'll tell you if it's been done before. I know there's a recognition. There's recognition software for that. Um, so the other thing when you're working on a melody uh, is be sure that you use contrast. Mm -hmm. So if your melody doesn't have enough contrast, again, it will sound like it's wandering. So give your structure strong definition. And, and clear definition and um, by using contrast. So a great example of that is Vertigo by U2, where um, there's a great verse melody that's very choppy. Nothing's longer than a couple of notes. And then it, ha it breaks into that wonderful chorus. Hello, hello, I'm in a place called Vertigo. And suddenly you have these long, smooth notes and it, you got all this tremendous contrast, which really grabs attention when you do it, and it's contrast in note length and note patterns. And then that chorus keeps climbing. It does the opposite of most choruses. Most choruses jump up at the beginning and mm -hmm. then come down. This one goes up just a little bit at the beginning, and then it builds. I can feel, I can feel. It's the highest notes of the whole song at the end. And then he goes, bump. It's a great idea. Try something like that with your melody and see what happens. In other words, just get in the sandbox and play around. Go find a song, a hit song, and you go, what's that song doing? Ooh, that's cool. I'm going to try that in a song of my own. It's so easy to come back to, to the the tonic and land there at the end of the chorus because it feels like it's the yeah. place you should resolve. go. Yeah, yeah it, it, it resolves just, a lot. Yeah, And then... I know any time I've ever attempted to write a song, which has not been that many times, but coming where to go back to the core or the, the verse after you've come back to that, you've resolved to the tonic and then you lay there like a lox, like now what? And that's why in the 50s, 60s and 70s, they had those little transition bars 
that yes. were in there. Yeah. It was almost like, okay, now let's take a breath and then we're going back into the yeah. verse. And that doesn't happen anymore. Everybody wants everything like fast food now. Yeah. So you really have to concentrate on where your melody goes at the end of the chorus that leads naturally back into the verse. And this particular song is one one solution to that. So you too came up with one solution to that that's really unique where it goes high, it climbs, it doesn't resolve, and then boom, you're down to the resolve is the beginning of verse two. And it fools listeners. It gets listeners really involved and really surprised and really interested in what you're doing. There's lots of contrast. There's lots going on with the melody. And of course, as he hits those high notes, he's singing, I can feel, I can feel. And there's lots of emotion in it before he falls down into the beginning of verse two. So those kinds of things, when you find one of those in a song and you like it, go ahead and use it. You know, use it as the basis for a new melody. I wanted to go back one more, one second to what we were talking about earlier, which is the radio and the songs that are on the radio and, and how so many people, and I hear it all the time, of course, people saying, I hate everything that's on the radio. And I do want to point out that radio itself is not a good place to listen to songs. And that's because they're playing a whole bunch of songs you don't like. And the one gem that's in there, you may never get to. And then you've got these you know, shouting DJs and contests and ads and all this stuff going on. I don't listen to the radio, you all know that, those of you who know me, I recommend that you go to the music charts and listen to what's on the charts and just go through it, just go through the charts until you find the one or two or three songs that you like. Those are the songs to study, don't study the ones you don't like. You can learn from those, but why wait, you know, there's, if there's songs you like, go there and study those songs and the very things that I'm talking about, you know, are the things that you're going to hear and variations on those things and interesting ways of playing with those because people are always, songwriters are always restless. I mean, we're always coming up with new stuff. Uh, one of your other favorite websites uh, is TuneFind. And oh, yeah. uh, I, I've done that on a Sunday where the better part of a Sunday, I've sat in the bedroom with the laptop, you know, the window open, the curtains blowing, the birds chirping outside. I'm sitting on the bed for hours on TuneFind going down the rabbit hole of looking at a song that got used in, in go for the big hit shows don't go for the obscure shows and that's where you'll find the big money songs and you can do the same analysis even though they're used in the context of a TV show generally the big money songs and the big money placements are in the montage section and you can learn so much from those just mm -hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm. if you're waiting on radio, you're going to be driving, you're thinking about making a left turn without getting uh, T-bones, right. you know. Right. There's so much other yeah. stuff going on that you really need to be isolated. By the way, totally uh, uh, off the topic, but somewhat topically, I saw today memory foam um, replacement pads for headphones. And I thought, what a brilliant idea. I can't believe I've never heard of this. Apparently, they've been around for a while. But I'm thinking for you guys in the studio and for anybody who does long periods of critical listening where you need to be wearing headphones, memory foam. And they make them for, you know, you can get them for like um, AKGs or Sennheisers or, or whatever brand you're using. They make them. Cool. So for yeah. 29 bucks, Give your up. ears a break. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I can't study songs in the car. That would be a terrible. That would be terribly dangerous. I have to be sitting where I'm listening and thinking, and then I have to be able to go back and, you know, for all of the complaining we do, legitimately do about streaming websites, um, and what they don't pay us. Um, I'm sure you all remember. A lot of you remember, and we remember when you used to have to buy a CD just to study one song on it, and it was 13 bucks. So every time I turn around, I kind of in a in one way I go. 
Spotify has saved me so much money yeah. that in a way I'm getting paid back, you know? So, um, yeah, take advantage of that. And, and uh, the other thing, I use Spotify also. I go to their playlists. I like to see what the new releases are. They have some nice acoustic, uh, acoustic afternoon and singer-songwriter stuff. Um, that I can go through Roots, Americana. They have playlists for all that stuff. R &B, and and there's some do. like normal citizens that actually have really good taste and make up great playlists, mm -hmm. and you gravitate to them because they've already done the work for you. And Spotify does their own playlists, yeah. and they're very good. Um, and so I just check, I get those going on there, and I'll I'll just play that, you know, and while I'm doing other things, and let it sort of embed, and I'll pick up, and I'll, all of a sudden I'll hear a song go, "What's that? What's going on there?" So um, those are the okay, two big uh, ones for uh, um, lyrics and melody. Number three, the fourth big songwriting mistake, and how do you, how do you avoid it? Uh, actually, this is I mean, number, the third. number three. Yeah. Is, um, when inspiration and songcraft are out of balance. And this comes back and addresses that kind of thing you were talking about earlier when people you know, get on there and, and ping and say, yeah, but you know, I just like to write from, my, from whatever occurs to me, and, and that's, I, I know that that's authentically me. And... Um, when songcraft is Sorry. <laughs> songcraft, uh, songcraft is there for a reason. It's because that's how we communicate with listeners and make sure the song reaches listeners. So the things we've been talking about today are songcraft. We're talking about melody rewriting and melody structure and lyric and not over-explaining or under-explaining. Making sure your listener's with you and, mm -hmm. and you didn't lose the listener somewhere because that's what successful songs have to do. Whether it's film and TV or it's out on the dance floor or it's radio, you have to grab the listener and hold on to them. That's the job of the song. You can write anything you want and, and you can you know, write it for yourself, and please do, and make them your album cuts, and put them up on your YouTube channel. You can do any of that. No one's telling you you can't write for yourself. But if the moment you decide you want to pitch to a taxi listing, or you want to pitch, uh, you want to put your stuff up on YouTube, and start to build your fan base as an artist, the minute you do that, then you've crossed over into the world of the listener. And whether the listener is a music supervisor who's a professional, or a taxi screener who's a professional, or your family and your friends or who already know you, who kind of bring a whole bunch of stuff to, to the party and, and may not be as, as uh, particular as a listener who is a stranger. And 99% of your listeners are strangers. They don't know you, you don't know them. If they came up to you and started telling you a boring story about themselves, you wouldn't be interested in them. You know, so your job is to not to bore them, is to not bore them. It, I mean, basically, that's kind of what it is when we write songs. It's it's to thrill the listener and make them and make them say, "Oh, I felt that way too." And the you know? bar has been raised because you've got this evil little thing in your possession all the time, and you've got all these other distractions. You've got television. You've got your phone. You've got traffic. So you really have to break through. Yeah. You know, yeah. You have this wonderful job of sitting down and analyzing in a quiet space, and you get to learn so much. But for the person who's creating, they forget that the listener's not you. Well, yes. And, and so how do you work that out? Because yeah. you just brought it up. The problem is, well, I don't, you don't want to write just songcraft either. Because if you just write from songcraft, then I'm going to write a song and get it on the radio. Follow all the rules. Okay, I'm gonna follow yeah. all the rules of the formula yeah. and get a song on the radio. And I hate everything on the radio, so I'm gonna write a song I don't like very much. And the problem with that is, you can't do it. 
it's not possible to write a song you don't like because how do you know when it's done? When you don't like it enough? <laughs> you know, you have to say every decision that you make while you write a song is based on that feels good to me. Every single decision. That's why you have to embed current music. You have to listen all the time to the stuff you like, to the stuff that moves you, that's current. And if you want to write a vintage but aim for radio, you can do retro blends. You can blend Motown with some yeah. of our contemporary stuff. But listen to the contemporary stuff. If you've got the Motown thing down, then listen to the contemporary stuff. So embed all that stuff so that when you go to write, it feels right to you. It's a lot like riding a bicycle. When does it feel? When do you feel in balance? Well, you're never going to know unless you learn to ride the bicycle. Then, when you're on the bicycle, you know, ah, this feels good. Okay, I'm up. I'm up. I'm riding. I'm hanging on and to you're it. Good enough to lose the training wheels. Yes, and, and you know and, when that happens yeah. too. And, yeah. And you know that's why you read books like this because, and I'm not yeah. doing this to plug the book, but it makes the case for training wheels because if you do the stuff over and over enough, yeah, and often enough. Pretty soon, you don't have to think that I'm writing in form. I'm following this structure. Right. I'm following that rule. It's just embedded in who you are, and that's where the creativity comes in, laid on the foundation of craft. Yes, that's exactly right. It's why I keep telling people, go listen, go listen, mm -hmm. go listen, and here and here's what you're listening to, you know. But if you go listen and you and you really pay attention to it and learn to play some of those songs over and over in my books, I'm telling people. Play that song, get it in your hands. And if you're a lyric writer, write a lyric to that melody. Write a lyric to that melody. Um, this happened recently. Blasphemy. <laughs> I know. I was working with somebody recently and it was they were collaborating. And the melody was kind of wandering. It didn't have any rhythmical center. And it didn't have a good pattern of long and short notes that you could catch, you know. Mm -hmm. And it would repeat those and you go, ah, oh, that's catchy, you know. It didn't have that. And I asked them what they were doing and he said well I wrote the melody to her lyric and I said were you writing this on the page just writing lyrics on the page and she said yes I was and when you write lyrics on the page we have a tendency to sound like a Hallmark card <laughs> that's our natural nursery rhyme we tend to do that it's just it's we've grown up with it not that that kind of thing that that is basic to all of us and so when you put a, a ghost melody in there and you write to a ghost melody, and you, then you tend to write things that have rhythms that vary and line lengths that vary. Cause right, you're, for, a lot of you're forced into it, but yeah. it takes you out of your... For me personally, everything would be on the one. Sure, me bam, too. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> yeah, and if I were to ghostwrite, I would have to follow somebody else's phrasing. Right. So when you do that, whether you use that lyric, you don't have to make it a stellar lyric. You can just do it as practice. Mm -hmm. And just sit down and write to those melodies, even if it's just nonsense syllables, just write to those melodies until you get a feel for the patterns of those melodies. You can figure out what the pattern is and then write your lyric to that pattern if you don't want to use a ghost melody. If you do it, if you write to a ghost melody, don't tell your collaborator what it was because they'll never get out of their head, you know, so <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. But and, and vary it a little after you finish writing, you know, put put some more syllables in. But if you like what you wrote, you can keep that and give it to a collaborator. It's hard to get that. If you're writing, if you're not collaborating, it's hard to get that melody out of your head. It's, it's difficult. It can be done. I've certainly done it. But um, I would recommend it for collaborators if you're having trouble writing lyrics that sing. And there is a difference between lyrics on the page and lyrics that sing. 
And when a collaborator of melody writer sees a lyric that sings, they don't have any problem writing a melody to that. I was reading some book recently, I can't remember which one, but it was probably a marketing book or a self-help book or something. And I just made a note to remind myself about this. The guy basically said that there are two kinds of people or two belief systems that creative people have, which is that in order to be, uh, you can be broke and happy or you can be rich and miserable. And his point was, why do you limit yourself right, to those two choices? Make that choice. Broken, happy, or rich and miserable. Why can't you be rich and I'm happy? happy. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, that sounds so much like so many artists I know that, you know, it's like, if I write something right. good, then I'm a sellout and I'm miserable. Right. So right. I'm going to remain broke and miserable. Exactly. It's not one or the other. It's, it's the, the melding together of the skill set and your creativity. That's Those are the pings that you get are yeah. from people who say, I just want to be myself. Now okay. that takes me to the other half of the balance between inspiration and creative and, and uh, between inspiration and songcraft. So when songcraft gets out of control and you start writing formula songs, then you you lose the heart and listeners won't get involved in your song. They They'll sense that. They'll know that. And so you have to write, initially you have to write from your own inspiration. But the problem with inspiration is that inspiration off the leash is like a puppy that just goes everywhere. It just goes everywhere. It runs here and it runs there and runs there. And it's all over the place because it's just curious about everything and it wants to write everything and every song and it wants to do it all right now. And that's when you get, these song, that's when you get a song that has too much stuff in it. So when you're writing a song and all of a sudden you get this wonderful inspired line, it just came to you and it's, you know, halfway through your chorus. So you put it in, you know, and then, well, that kind of changed what the song was about. So you change what the song's about then because you have this wonderful line that you want to keep. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you put a little very loose leash on, on your creativity and say, I love this line, but I can see that this line doesn't fit what I'm talking about in this song. So you put it on a piece of paper and you put that paper over to the side and you keep that line over on the side. You start it's, a new song with it. It's like the first thing you talked about in the show today, the, where there are seven songs in that yes. one lyric. Yeah. And that's another way that that happens is suddenly more lines, inspired lines start getting dropped into this lyric. And then your lyric isn't about anything because it's about you know, way too many things because inspiration is non-linear and we don't, and we forget that. Mm -hmm. And it's the most, one of the most important things you can understand about your inspiration is you need it, you need it and you use it, but it's not working on what you think it's working on all the time. It might come up with a great line for your song and if it does, put it in. But if it doesn't, if it comes up with a great line that doesn't fit in the song, just put it over to the side, honor that, and, and say, this is a great line, inspiration. I really appreciate that line, and I'm just going to put it over here now, and maybe it'll fit in the bridge. Having that bucket of things to go back to um, is yeah. good, because otherwise you're walking into a room, sitting down, going, okay, I'm doing what Michael and Robin tell me to do, which is try and write something every day. Be productive. Stay on course. Don't get sucked into a TV show. Uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah, don't ever I'm do that. Hello, news. <laughs> I'm waiting. And you can yeah. always go back to that bucket with those little tidbits there. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah. Really good point. You should definitely have a notebook where you keep that stuff or a sheaf of papers or a file on, on a computer. I'm, I'm sure some of you have this and you've kept it going. I always recommend that people keep a list of potential titles. And go back titles. to it, though, because yeah. I, if I, I find if I put stuff on my desktop, eventually it sits there for nine months and I drag it to a folder one day. Uh, and once it's in that folder, I never see it again. Yeah. But I do keep a spiral bound notebook. And every year I start a new one. At the end of the year, I go back through the notebook and I look for the gems in the that's notebook. Great. And that's what I write in my calendar to start the next year. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's there Use in it. your face. Use it. Yep. Um, so, so if you keep those things in balance, if you keep inspiration, start with pure inspiration and heart. Start with your heart. Write what means something to you, what you feel. And, you know, and get started with inspiration. Be sure that inspiration is giving you lines that connect with what you feel. And, and come back to what you feel. And then use Songcraft to make sure that listeners can understand you. Did I answer the questions that listeners will have? Did I answer my own questions in the song? Is there something more I still need to say? Am I getting stuck on the second verse? Is that because I don't know what I'm writing about? Um, you know, you begin to go back and re rework it, but your initial raw material should really come from your heart and your inspiration. Just know that you're gonna keep it until you write something better something that will make that song work better for listeners and for you, then you can ditch those lines, you know, put them off to the side and say, okay, I've got something better. Don't say to yourself, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I have to rewrite this song now. I have to, I have, it's not very good. That line's not very good. I have to rewrite it. Honor what you wrote and then say, if I can beat it, I'll put in a new line there. If not, I'll keep what I have. And that's how rewriting, the best way to work rewriting. Always follow your, your instincts, your heart, but make sure that along the way, you just keep that leash on there and you go, oh, no, we're, we're going over there. We're, we're not going over there, or there, or there, or there, okay? We're going over there. And you just keep guiding it and guiding it gently and honor what your inspiration is doing. And, and you'll end up with a good song. Songcraft, the foundational leash. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, okay, what's okay, the fourth mistake? The fourth one is reinventing songwriting. That's the fourth mistake. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, there isn't enough time. Okay, I know people... <laughs> So many people have said to me, oh, I just thought I'd be creative with, with uh, song structure. I'm the next Beatles. Yes. And yes. you might be that one in but the 100 Beatles million. But the Beatles didn't reinvent songwriting. No. The Beatles <laughs> were a perfect blend of uh, traditional American standards and, and rock and roll. Yeah. And you can see it right on the first album. You can see that collision of those two styles. They were not reinventing. They reinvented just to the point where they brought those together and made the perfect the ultimate hybrid. meld. Yeah of those two. So when people say that to me, I mean, it's you kind of have to go back and really look at it. Did they really reinvent it? No, they took the structure and the lessons of Songcraft that we've been developing ever since the Troubadours and evolving and they put them together and, and in the collision they created something with a brand new flavor. You can, we're doing that. I mean, we're still doing that. We're doing a lot of blends these days that are really wonderful. It's making it harder and harder for us to write listings because so much of what is out there now on the charts uh, is a blend. Oh, interesting. It's getting really hard. Do we call it, we hit, we have this every single day where we'll have these little mini discussions. Do we call this rock hip hop? Just had one, oh, one of those on my desk yeah. today. Is it rock hip hop or is it hip hop rock? Oh, yeah. Which is the primary thing and they're both kind of equal it's a hip-hop beat but it's rock guitars and rock attitude yep and um, we've been heading that way for a while i saw that uh i referred to a song by shinedown 
uh, called uh, Sound of Madness, and boy, you could hear the hip hop influence, and that was about five years ago. Oh, and it yeah, doesn't, I mean, yeah, going back, it's not going to stop tomorrow. Even fifteen years ago, but lately, there's this resurgence of like indie rock bands that are using hip hop beats because that's what the kids in the band who are now twenty something grew up with was hip hop. And it's a great combination. It's it is really when used fun. well. It, yeah. it, it can be incredibly awesome. And it makes hip hop more digestible for those of us who didn't grow up with hip hop and you know didn't grow up loving it. You love the beat and now there's something that you something else that you love that is combined and it makes the whole yeah. thing very palatable. It's really creative. Yeah. I think we're in a more I haven't seen the kind of range and breadth of music styles and creativity that I'm seeing now yep. since the 60s. When people say to me, oh, I don't think we're very, I think the music today is boring. I'm just like, what have you been listening to? Obviously, you're not listening. You've been listening to radio. Right. You really have to track, the taxi listings are such an incredible resource. And I recommend this to everyone. Use those listings to explore genres that you might be interested in. If you see something that looks interesting to you, that's just to the left of where you usually write, go over there. You know, go check it out. Go check out indie folk or indie singer-songwriter, indie rock. or I mean, these are yep. all wonderful. And a lot of these things, and then the blends, the blends of two different styles or the blend of old and new, there's a lot of that going on. Now, when you're doing that, the underlying structure of, song, of songwriting doesn't change all that much. Um, hip-hop has its own structure, but when you're writing hip-hop rock, you're going to go with a straight song rock structure. You're going to have verse, chorus, first chorus, whatever chorus. Um, if you start, or verse pre-chorus, chorus, verse pre-chorus, if you start going too far away from the structure, which listeners really like, they like that structure, and yeah. they have real reasons why they like it. If you start saying, well, I'm going to be creative with structure, you should already know the basics of structure so well that you can then build on that and say, okay, I'm going to take the <laughs> end of, now, now I'm going to put something on the end of my chorus. Well, we've already done that. It's called, you know, the post-chorus, or the post-hook. So, you can already, there's plenty of creativity within structure once you start looking at it. You're not really locked into too many things. And each one of those sections can be lengthened or telescoped or, you know. I'm only laughing because I could just see the comments now on the YouTube videos of people. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I've reinvented songwriting mistake number four. Yeah. Uh, and, and this woman is talking about all these things that just suck the life out of music and suck creativity. You know, uh, Robin mentioned very quickly in passing, she said going back to the Troubadours, and she didn't mean the club on Sunset no, Boulevard, Santa Monica Boulevard, <laughs> or a band. What she meant was back in the days of Troubadours that would uh, uh, go from castle to castle, kingdom to kingdom, they quickly figured out that if they did a refrain, which became the chorus, that they would get invited back because the audience would go, I remember, remember that. that. Yeah. Play that song again. Yeah. Bardo. <laughs> give, <laughs> me, give me that one again. With your lute. <laughs> yes. It would become the top ten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and these and they also invented the love song. That yeah. was the other thing that Troubadours invented. And so ever since then we've been developing and developing and every and the things we do have evolved, but they all they have long histories of being proven to work on listeners. So again, it's perfectly all right to indulge your creativity to the nth degree. And if you get lucky, you may have a song that actually fits into a genre and will work for a particular market. But the odds are not good. 
And my feeling is if you want to make a career out of this, you should even up the odds yeah. as much as you can. And people who join Taxi, for example, are trying to even up the odds. That's why you're here. But then some of them will tell us, oh, you guys just want everything that's formulaic. But you know what? Think about it. TV commercials have a form. Movie trailers have a form. You know, the, the first, second, and third act. The third act being the payoff that really sucks you in and wants you to make it. the setup, the development, and the payoff. Um, songs have a form. Novels have a form. Mm -hmm. uh, movies have a form. Almost any movie in any genre that you go to is going to have something. The big thing is going to happen about 15 minutes into the movie. And if it doesn't, you'll get really bored. That's right. You That's will gain weight from eating popcorn. Me. Yeah. Is it the very people who are complaining about it? Actually, if they paid <laughs> right. attention, they would notice that, you know, I mean, if you're going to go watch Zabriskie Point or Blow, I mean, the 60s was a big experimental time for films. And there are some films that are just really boring. And uh, you watch them because they were playing with this idea of we don't have to use that structure. Right. And it was interesting to do. Um, but we come back to that structure again because human beings like those structures. They respond to them emotionally. They respond to them with interest. So you can write on your own dime, write whatever you want and explore whatever you want. But when you write for a use or a market or basically when you write for other listeners, when you do that, then you have to take into account what listeners like. Mm -hmm. And they haven't been brainwashed by the record labels. Really, that's, that's backwards thinking. People want to thinking. believe that. I know, but it's backwards thinking. The more you play something for somebody, that something that irritates them, the, the more angry they get. <laughs> it doesn't make them like it. Somebody out there liked it enough that they're playing it over and over because yeah. they know it makes them stick with that station. Yeah. And, and that's how they get more money. So trust yeah. me, everything they do is motivated by profit, which is okay. You want to be profitable as a right, songwriter. Yeah, I hope so. So you'd like to get a raise at work, right? So radio stations play music that holds an audience because it gets more money from the advertisers. Yes, it's a use. We are in a business and it's a use. It's a market that has a use. The other thing I would recommend is to, don't try to invent a new genre. Um, <laughs> right, because where do you put it? I'm going, yeah, I'm going through this with somebody who keeps asking me, what genre is this song in? And I keep saying, why did you write the song without knowing what genre it was going to be in? You need to, to, you need to, if you're going to write for a use, if you're going to write for a market and for listeners, you do need to know what genre in general you're going, you're landing in. Because that makes a difference in what kind of lyrics you write, what kinds of melody you write, what kind of chords, what kind of instrumentation, what your demo going to sound what like. What kind of artist would cut it, yeah. which which particular artist in that genre. Yeah, yeah all what that stuff. What kinds of things do they talk about, what are their fans yeah. like. It really is that. Within that, the challenge is to be creative, is to, is to satisfy your heart. And that's why I say every song starts with your heart. And you've got to find the genre that appeals to you and the style that appeals to you and find some artists, a la artists that appeal to you and that speak to your heart. And then you write in those styles because that's how you do that. That's how you balance. You're, you can't, you, I don't think it's possible to sell out personally. I don't understand how a songwriter can write something they don't like. It comes back to that again, that Zen thing that, that, that Cohen, it took me years to understand that. Um, it makes sense when you does, think about it. Because every decision you make is based on that feels right to me. So you have to be writing something hmm. that you like, that feels right to you. And if, you're, if your taste is, a, is old, and older, retro, vintage, and you want to write things that are for today's market, you need to embed some styles that are contemporary that you like. And that means you have to put the time in to going to find those things that you like. 
And the taxi listings are a great place to find those things that you like. If you like indie folk and didn't even know it existed, you know, the taxi listings will introduce you to it and give and, you a whole bunch of artists. And they will morph in and out. Uh, we just had a little period for months and months where singer-songwriter stuff was very skinny. And all of a sudden, in the last, I don't know, four or five weeks, it's peaking again right now. So it really kind of depends on what's going on thematically in a TV season. Um, uh, it could be what radio is driving. Uh, there are a lot of variables out there, but the market drives the taxi listings. So I think that's part of Robin's point is rather than you making a square peg and hoping that there are square holes out there for it, which there may not be, um, why not look at the board and see if the, the holes are square or round and at least get in the right holes. Yeah. And, I, I and liken it to, um, I liken writing a song and asking about what the genre is afterwards to the, and the, my analogy is it's like trying to shove your foot in the glass slipper the day after the ball. <laughs> Chances are your foot won't fit. Um, you know, you'll be very, very lucky if you're the one person who, you know, you happen to write the one song right. by fluke um, or by ear because you've been listening a lot, a lot, a lot and embedding that stuff. If you embed it, if you listen a lot, your chances are better of coming up with a song that will fit. I'm getting a little nervous about Monday's episode of Taxi TV because I'm doing something I've never done before in all these years, which is basically a mail time. Send me anything. Yeah. Right. Remember, I yeah. used to write the reader's tapes column for Recording Magazine, and one time somebody sent me a plaster of Paris foot glued to a box. Now that I've got my foot in the door, oh. will you listen to my song? <laughs> People have sent me ladies' undergarments. They've sent me other unmentionable items. Don't do that. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> He's uh, not suggesting that. Not, not for a minute am I suggesting that. People have, have sent me all kinds of strange stuff. Food items. Okay. I, I, I opened up many boxes of like a CD with brownies in there. And, okay. And what the brownies, so, some of the brownies you could tell had, might have had a little pot in them. And, and anyway, my, my point is that I'm nervous because I know a lot of people are going to send CDs and I'm going to be getting CDs that aren't from members necessarily. They aren't for a listing necessarily. And I'm going to open stuff up on the air and play it live. And, and I just have a strong feeling that a lot of what I'm going to run into is what you're talking about, which is they've tried to invent a genre. Yeah. And it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, somebody earlier said, I just caught it as it went by, wait until you have a large fan base before you invent a genre. Yeah. But then your fans don't expect you to do that. I mean, you'll, you'll lose your fan base if you do that. There really is a thing. I mean, listeners are people with their own taste. And once you've found that taste, you, you kind of want to keep giving it to them. That's why I'm astonished by people when they get to their fourth, fifth, sixth album and they're still writing songs. It's how, how do you not run out of stuff, you know? When you have to keep feeding your fan base, your fan base is like a giant maw you have to keep feeding. <laughs> so if you think this is hard, folks, where do you get a fan base? Uh, okay, so we're we're definitely over by ten minutes, and I know you've got to get back down the hall and get, this is so much fun. Get to work, but can you just give like a, the four things recap with the four? Oh, you want to recap? Yes, please. Okay, a recap of the four things I have them written out here, so I can do this. Uh, the first one was over-explaining or under-explaining in your lyrics, and the way to avoid that was to find the peak moment and go deeper into the peak moment, and interview yourself to make sure you're answering all the questions that the listeners might have. The second one was wandering melodies. And the way to deal with that was to write patterns of repetition and variation. And you can look for those patterns in, in songs that you love and find patterns and maybe try some of those patterns in line length, in note rhythm, um, 
those two things. Okay. Uh, and also uh, phrase starts, which you brought up, where you can start on the upbeat or the next beat, shift a beat. Right. That was a way to avoid that. Okay, patterns is the way to avoid that. Uh, the third one was um, when inspiration and songcraft are out of balance. When songcraft is dominating, you're writing songs that, uh, you know, have good songcraft, but listeners probably won't care very much. And if you're writing a song that's all inspiration, they have a lot of heart, but listeners may not understand them. And that's what happens. So you want to keep those things in balance. And the way to, to, to survive that is to keep your inspiration on a loose leash and just keep guiding it in the direction you want to go and keep everything it gives you, but be discriminating about where you use it. And the last one was don't reinvent songwriting. <laughs> that one is self-explanatory. Okay. I well, wish I could read your comments as they go by. I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. I got um, so into it. I've got to plug this book because it is the only one on the market that covers this topic of writing songs for film and TV. And it does touch on, by the way, it does touch on uh, doing instrumental cues. But, you know, one day can, I, I know it's kind of out of your wheelhouse, but can you do a little study of instrumental cues? Just take one genre of TV because I can't say the cues that work for reality would work for, you know, an hour-long drama. But can we do an episode one day where you just do cues? You know, I... I Just get, the structure of it. I don't, I actually, they're not, it's not the same as song structure. I, I know. Yeah. That's I what I'm saying. Never but under, I have never sat down and studied cues. Can you give it an hour one time and see if you see, uh, I, I know uh, Dean Crepain has a great book, yeah. which if yeah, I yeah, had sitting next to me. Um, Demystifying gonna, the cue. Yeah, yeah, I, I usually have them near my desk. Anyway, get his book. But mm -hmm. um a lot of people, when they go into writing instrumental cues, meander. They commit many of these same sins, oh. but in the context of instrumental cues. See, so because I'm, I don't listen to the taxi members, I don't listen to those right. either, so I don't know what the problems I'm are. I'm very yet. curious to see what your analysis would be, because I think many of these rules apply. I imagine they do. I mean, and, you know, not reinventing the yeah. the issue the, the, and staying within a genre, aiming for a use. Um, and keeping your melodies and keeping your from stopping not wandering using patterns to, in order to not wander and then build on your patterns Probably yeah, they are. Yeah, I'm just mm -hmm, uh, I, I've had fantasies I've actually been already planning this coming road rally, which is I think November 2nd through the 5th but this year start now. A And I was having a little fantasy moment where I was thinking about you and I sitting on stage together analyzing cues Oh, that'd be interesting. Okay, well, I'll have to think of. I'll have yeah, to just ponder it. it anyway. And but you can study, and the same is true for you folks too. You can study anything by sitting down and giving it a good listen and picking it apart, and then you can figure out what they're doing. Oh, Robin, that's like work. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually work. a lot of fun, though. It's not work. It's a lot of fun. Well, and don't forget, got to plug the books. As you know, I am the publisher. I do make a couple bucks when you buy one. Robin's the author. Uh, and uh, I'm the only publisher I'm aware of that will give you 100% of your money back if you don't think the book is well worth what you paid for it. For this one and for shortcuts to hit songwriting. So there you go on those. And don't forget, right now, while you're looking at the screen, down in the lower right-hand <laughs> corner, you will see... Uh, oh, there it is. <laughs> a little taxi cab. Oh, no, actually, you don't see the taxi cab until it gets to YouTube. But anyway, um, when you watch it on YouTube, because some of you will be, click the subscribe button.
click the like button and you know what I found out yesterday is that YouTube really likes it when somebody shares it so share it with your mom or your best friend or somebody and with that Robin thank you very oh, much my pleasure um, and thank you guys all of you it's you for know this fabulous. was a pop-up show I mean literally I think I had the idea two days ago yeah. so I'm really glad that Robin joined us and parted wisdom as always and we will see you guys Monday don't forget you got a couple more days to get stuff here for the big mail time episode don't send me anything too weird but kind of weird is okay. Bye, you guys. <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> Where do you draw the line?